0: Sign up today for your risk free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit WYNNbet.com to start winning. You are listening to Dove Valley Deep Divers, Divers, Divers with Eric Trickle and Lance Sanderson. Ball comes out of the hands of Newton. It's on the ground, picked up by TJ Ward at the four yard line. Vaughn
1: Miller did it again
0: on Overtime Media
1: mile high hello everybody in broncos country welcome into another episode of the Dove valley deep divers podcast i'm your host lance sanderson and joining me as per usual is my good friend and colleague he is mile high senior nfl draft analyst and a full-time uh, article writer and content creator for milehigh.com the one and only eric trickle eric dude Um, huge gigantic win against the Chargers this last week I have to slap the table pound the table front my chest just a little bit because I was the only one on staff that actually picked the Broncos to win that game so I I caught up to everybody in the standings a little bit I haven't actually looked to see where I'm where I'm sitting but uh, I think six and five is where my record's at right now which is kind of nice that it matches the Broncos record but dude how you doing man
2: I'm doing pretty good. Currently freezing because my office is so cold and, (laughs) you know, cranked up the heat to try to warm up my office. We'll see what happens with that. I'm super excited. Holiday time, my favorite time of year, getting everything all finished up for that. So I can actually, you know, sit back and kind of enjoy the holidays. Our living room is being taken over, man. Like super. But I'm super excited. I mean, as you said, it was a big win beating the Chargers. A lot of people just kind of wrote them off. And I mean, for me, I thought it was a game that Denver could go out there and win. I just wasn't expecting them to shoot themselves in the foot a lot more than they did. Um, Their inconsistencies week to week, especially on defense. Like, I just wasn't sure what version of this defense we're going to get. Same as this week. I'm not sure if it's going to be the good enough to stop the Chiefs or not. But uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for this Sunday night football game. It's a big game. And it's one that could really, I mean, very obvious statement here, is going to dictate the Broncos' rest of the season. If they win it, they're right there for the running for the playoffs controlling their own fate and that's where you want to be
1: exactly if they win this game they'll be a seven and uh, seven and five tied with the chiefs for first place in the afc west depending on what happens with the chargers and the and the raiders earlier in the day i mean there could be like a three-way tie or even a four-way tie for the uh for the first place in in the afc west so this is a critical game it really is especially because the broncos have another three games against the afc west at one uh chargers raiders chiefs to end the season. They're going to get a break here this next week. They got the lions coming up after the, after the chiefs. Not that we're looking forward to that yet. We've got to focus on this game here and then they'll get the uh, game against the Bengals. Both those games at home, by the way um, that they'll be able to, you know, maybe create some breathing room and actually get themselves into the playoff chase. This is quite honestly, and I've been listening to the one Oh four three, the fan all day, all week, pretty much. Um, And they're saying that their promo right now is saying that this is the biggest game the Broncos have played since Super Bowl 50 and, Quite honestly, it, they're not wrong. I mean, this is the first meaningful game in December the Broncos have played since 2015. Like, this is this is a huge, huge game, and the Broncos got to be ready.
2: Yeah, I mean, as you said, it really is the most meaningful game. I mean, it's nice that we're actually in December, and there's this feeling of – I know there's a lot of doubt if the Broncos can actually make that push to the playoffs, but it's nice seeing this feeling through through Broncos country on the podcast mm-hmm. and everything – that there's this chance instead of that we're just completely out of it we actually have a chance at this point and i mean going into the chiefs in december it's a tough test what 11 straight losses right to the chiefs like there's a lot on the line and there seems to be listening and reading some of the press conferences from the players they're all putting a lot of pride into this game so hopefully i mean this inconsistency we've seen especially from the defense hopefully we see that kind of level out because obviously going against Patrick Mahomes Travis Kelce Tyreek Hill, like, it's needed that this defense steps up and plays like they did against the Chargers and even the Cowboys.
1: Oh, yeah, and... Like it's crazy because you look at this the box score of the Chargers game and especially even going through the play by play, specifically in the third quarter for this Broncos defense and they gave up a lot of yards but they they took advantage of some opportunities they created a couple turnovers scored defensively as well um, one of the first times that they've scored defensively this year is huge play by Passer Tan we'll get to him more here in just a little bit but uh, they let the Chargers go up and down the field but they kept them out of the end zone they kept them out of uh, prime scoring opportunities and that was part of the formula that they used last. Year year against the Chiefs late in the season where they damn near stole a win uh at Arrowhead so they have the opportunity to go and do that again uh this defense is playing some of their best football uh right now like quite honestly they, they had a, a rough game against the Philadelphia Eagles but going back to the Dallas Cowboys game they played really well um they actually didn't play too bad against the the Cleveland Browns to tell the truth they had one really long drive to be, uh, to open up the game which was kind of you know shot them in the foot and got them you know, behind the barrel a little bit, but at the same time, I mean, they're, they're playing really good football and they just got to kind of keep moving forward and hopefully, you know, strengthen up just a little bit, get healthy back down the stretch a little bit. And, you know, this team can definitely make a run.
0: Listen up Broncos country tick pick should be your first choice to buy football tickets because they save fans money by never charging any service fees ever. Tick pick is the exclusive ticketing partner for the huddle up podcast and Ticket site, Tick Pick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's right, guys. When we were searching for tickets for the MHH meet and greet for week three at home, Broncos versus Jets, Tick Pick had us locked down. So visit tickpickcom huddle today and use the promo code huddle to save $10 on your first order of Broncos tickets. And
1: speaking of stars, we got some right here from Gary Leeds Palmer. Hey, Broncos fans, newsflash the Broncos are going to beat the Chiefs. Eric, you're up, dude. What do you think
2: about that? I hope so. I mean, it would be nice, as we were talking about before, uh, the matters of business. 11 straight games, it would be nice to put it, especially seeing how smug some of these Chiefs players have been on Twitter. Granted, they have a right to be. I mean, back-to-back Super Bowls, one win. They have a right to be smug, just like the Broncos did a few years back, and they were all smug on Twitter. But it would be nice to go in there and just pop them in the mouth and just walk out with the win, end that 11-game losing streak, go and show everybody that's saying oh denver has no chance the chiefs are unstoppable in december at home it'd just be nice to go in there and see it and they have a clear path to it it's on the ground it's running the game Melvin gordon's going to be out so it's going to put a lot more pressure on javante williams i mean and denver at the (laughs) funny thing i was just looking at this with the bottom six teams in terms of rush epa and defense Denver is currently three and one, and they have a chance to go to four and one against the chiefs. Um, their one loss was to the Pittsburgh Steelers, jets, giants, chargers. Those are your three victories there. So that's the, that's the way to it. I mean, you got to be able to run the ball, control the clock, keep Patrick Mahomes in that offense on the feet, on the sideline off the field and be able to score points. You can't have these drives that falter in the red zone because of penalties. I mean, Everybody sees it. Multiple drives getting right into into the, the red zone, faltering, falling off, going backwards, penalties, sacks like you can't do that against the Chiefs. And then when they do get into the end zone and they give the ball back, the defense has to step up. We have to see the this defense that we saw against the Chargers and the Cowboys if we are going to get a victory in this one.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the biggest things is the Broncos have to really win up front defensively with their front four and be able to, like they did against the Chargers, and drop seven guys back into coverage and just continue to be able to do that. Um, last week, you know, Draymond Jones had an absolutely fantastic game rushing from in the middle, even getting double teamed at times. Um, they did a really good job with uh, Malik Reed and Jonathan Cooper coming off the edge to create some pressure as well. Deshaun Williams had arguably his best game of the season against the Chargers. Like it was, it was awesome to be able to see. This this team finally be able to win up front without have to bring a bunch of blitzes, because that's what the Broncos have had to do over the course of this season is bring a lot more blitzing. Um, I think it was 88%. And this was per Ryan Edwards, by the way, at the Broncos country tonight um, at eight fifty K away. Um, He said it was 88% of the the total pressures that the Broncos had against the Chargers came in a four man, uh, four man front, a four man uh, rush scheme without sending any extra pressure. So they have to continue to be able to do that because this is a quarterback, Pat Mahomes, that is very capable of beating you against the Blitz. He's going to make you pay. You bring extra rushers and take guys away. You're creating more one on one matchups for all the speed that they've got. And they've got, you know, Tyreek Hill, obviously. Uh, Travis Kelsey does a good job over the middle of the field, but McCole Hardman can take the top off. Byron Pringle can take the top off as well DeMarcus Robinson is no slouch like they've got a lot of speed with their weaponry and if you don't find a way to bracket cover those guys you're going to be in trouble and the reason and the way that you do that is by sending extra rushers so they've got to win with four
2: yeah and on that is going back to the offensive side of the ball is they got to win in the trenches there as well Yep. and Chris Jones he can create so many problems for you he's back inside when they're playing him out on edge he wasn't as impactful but now that he's back inside, I mean, he can just take over games. It's going to be a huge test for Dalton Reisner, Lloyd Cushionberry, and Quinn Miners to sit there and handle him. And this is a team talking about the EPA. Well, the success rate for them, the Chiefs' defense is allowing the second best success rate for two opposing offenses in the running game behind the Chargers. So this would be a good game to have Melvin Gordon. I know that ball security is an issue with him, but being able to keep Javante Williams kind of fresh, I saw somebody sit there ask about Mike Boone. Well, Mike Boone, there's going to be a lot of pressure on him. I mean, this is a team that they really want to try to get 25 plus rushes from their running backs and get it looking at multiple more touches in the passing game from them. Well, we're finally going to see Mike Boone on offense. He's this home viewed as this home run hitter. Can he actually start hitting these home runs that they all that we all thought they, that he would be able to bring that he was hyped up to bring? I mean, it's for me, outside of the de- uh, uh, after the defense. The running game. That's the most important thing for this Broncos team. And it's not just for this game. It's going forward. We talked about it a little bit last week. Outside of the Bengals, they're facing some pretty mediocre to poor run defenses that they can take advantage yep. of. So hopefully Melvin Gordon's only injured for this game. Hopefully he'll be back next week. Sounds like that is the expectation, anyways. Yeah. And hopefully they're able to stay healthy up front because they need this running game. They need to um they need to limit the the passing attempts from Teddy Bridgewater because not just because of him, because of the issues with pass protection. You don't want to keep him getting hit. You don't want to risk these sacks. And you're you're not going to win games when you're forcing Teddy Bridgewater to throw it 40-plus times.
1: No, you're not. Absolutely. And I'm going to get to Chase here in just a second, um, but I want to plug this really fast. I'm actually working on an article, guys. Um, it should either drop, I'm, I'm guessing probably tomorrow morning, um, based on 11, or 11, 12, 13, and 22 personnel and the way the disparity that the Broncos had against the Chargers and why I think that that should be the way that they go moving forward. Um, make sure you guys check that out if you get the opportunity. Like I said, I, I'm going to try to finish it tonight, if not first thing or uh, tomorrow morning. Um, so sh- hopefully on Saturday, you'll be able to see that and and take a look at some very interesting numbers but uh, with that guys uh, chase jumping in here with a with a two dollar super chat am i mistaken or did you prefer baron browning at edge Um, i'll start off it's not that I necessarily preferred Baron Browning at edge. It's that I thought that that was probably his easiest pathway to success in the NFL while they were trying to cross train him, because that seemed to be the way that uh, everyone kind of looked at Baron Browning was a player that because he was so versatile at Ohio state, they played him off ball. They played him coming off the edge. They used him as a blitzing linebacker. They made him, in coverage so he's such a versatile player that the easiest way for him to translate to the NFL level and that's quite honestly what he was best at in college was at edge however I did say that he had the tools to develop and turn into a high quality linebacker now Eric I'm gonna let you take this away a little bit because you had a really fun film piece on Baron Browning just the other day
2: um I actually preferred Baron Browning at off-ball linebacker I thought that was gonna take a little bit more time I did share the, the thought with Lance and Nick Kendall as well that edge would be a little bit more valuable for him, and that would be the easiest transition for him to the NFL. But I mean, he's exceeded I think everybody's expectations with yep. how he's transitioning, dealing with the lower leg fracture, the hairline fracture in his leg in the off season, limiting his time in training camp, then coming in. I can't remember what injury he was dealing with earlier on in the season, and then he got the concussion. He's really had a limited amount of time to practice and grow as a player, and he's far exceeded my expectations for it. And as I said, I think everybody else's as well. He's growing far more rapidly than I thought he would and really starting to settle down. He is the key clog in this Broncos defense when he isn't out there on the field. We saw this against the Philadelphia Eagles. The defense looks completely different or completely different. He's a good communicator. He's able to open up and cover for issues that Kenny Young has in his game. He's able to open up and allow Kenny Young to do what he does best, which is just basically play attack and uh, come downhill against the run, limit him in coverage be able to pull him off the field in obvious coverage situations. So it's going to be – it's a thing of that I didn't prefer my edge. It was just – I felt he could have a um, quicker transition there. But, I mean, as I said, he exceeded even my expectations for his ability to grow as an off-ball linebacker. Ohio State just used him in so many ways, and I hit on it in my uh, scouting uh, profile for him that sometimes that's a double-edged sword. You get to learn all these different positions, but sometimes you don't get to settle down and learn the techniques for one. And Vic Fangio even shared that thoughts, too. And it's nice that they've kept him at off-ball linebacker, having him grow there and developing there, despite even with the limited time that he's had.
1: Right. with the, It was a knee injury that he suffered in rookie minicamp that kind of held him out. He had, I think, an ankle injury there as well in training camp, but then the concussion definitely had a big deal. He also had a back injury. Like, he's been just nicked up for the majority of his rookie season. Um, but th- these last three weeks, man, he's just been absolutely phenomenal. He had He's earned elite run uh, run stuffing and tackling grades, per pro football focus over the last three weeks. Um, he's, his coverage grades have also improved steadily over the last three weeks. The overall grade is weird because they didn't necessarily agree with the statement that he's been improving. It was like a 57.3. I, I, I did a radio hit with the uh, Broncos country tonight on Tuesday. Um, go to uh, broncoscountrytonight.com. Go check that out if you get the opportunity to. Uh, but I was specifically talking about how Baron Browning needs to be more of the focus for this defense moving forward, because quite honestly, he is the straw that stirs the drink for for the defense so, like eric said when he's not out there their uh their run stuff percentage drops uh their their pass uh their uh pass rush win weight actually drops just a little bit as well so it's 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 kind of a weird deal like he's he's actually a hell of a lot better than everyone would have thought of him uh as far as a, a rookie linebacker goes uh cody jumping in here with the five dollar super chat the referees that are in this game uh, there's going to be a lot of penalties so let's hope that sutton can get some defensive pis because he's good at getting them and yes he is eric what do you think
2: i mean yeah Carl Sheffers, he's the the referee for it he is a high eye or penalty throwing referee his staff is um, they're on pace for like the second highest in like the last 10 years of penalties thrown this season or something like that it's some outrageous number so I mean Broncos just need to go out there and play a clean game they can't give them any reasons to um, e- any reason to throw the penalty the penalty flag so something that sometimes is out of your control because you never know what they're going to call a penalty for like last night that blindside block i don't know if you got if you guys had a yeah, super ridiculous call i mean it, it was terrible so you can't give them reason to but at the same time you can go and do what you can to limit it and with the taunting rules with with flags like that like it's just you don't know like you can be walking out there on the field and get called for or you can be walking over back to your sideline and you're the riff hip check hip check you and you get thrown for hit with with taunting like yeah whatever
1: part of the problem that i have with this this comment and it's it's not anything that you said wrong cody I, I do appreciate that you make a very astute observation there uh but to counter that just a little bit is uh Cortland sutton's averaging like three tar three targets a game over the last five games when, when with, with with jerry judy back on the field Cortland sutton is almost an afterthought it's it's kind of crazy all three of those wide receivers honestly have been not targeted at all here recently i think uh courtland sutton oh has had what in the last five games, I think he has like 10 catches total. It's it's actually a very low number. And it's it's unfortunate because you're absolutely correct. He is a, such a really good receiver at going up, using his big body to defend at the catch point. Uh, very physical receiver. Uh, Tim Patrick's the same way as well. Like those guys work so well uh, going and getting a deep ball. But that's just not what Teddy Bridgewater is doing right now. He's he's getting off his his first read too fast. He's dumping the ball down to his running backs, to his tight ends. And these wide receivers, these high-paid wide receivers, I don't want to make it like disparaging like that. But, I mean, you just spent – know what uh 70 million dollars for wide receivers over the next three years and you ought to have a first round rookie or a a first round pick that you have a high investment in that you're not using in the passing game so yes i understand you you're getting the the defensive pass interference calls but still man uh they're they're just not throwing the ball to the wide receivers right now it's it's kind of weird well
2: when you're down to your backup tackle, named Cameron That's Fleming. Fair. Your backup fair. left tackle and Calvin Anderson, then your third string off at the tackle and you're running the ball as they have been. Yeah, you're not gonna pass the ball as much. I and that. there I mean, there is a a point to what you're saying. And there is a there's there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen with this receiver core. And then you throw in the tight ends and you throw in the running backs. And against the Chargers, I mean. The receivers, I think they're all targeted three times. Yep. Okay, I'm not going to complain about that. They were running the ball so well, and the running backs were such a weapon. And then, you know, being down with Quinn Bailey, that really changed their play calling. Yes, you can see it from the change from when Cal- after Calvin Anderson got hurt, there was a drastic change in the the game planning or the the play calling after that.
1: Well, and it wasn't. Sorry, I, I don't mean to cut you off here. Uh, the, the, that actually started. I, I know I noticed this when I rewatched the game. Uh, the the play calling changed after Drew Locke fumbled, and I and I, I don't remember if it was after that that Calvin Anderson went down. But the, as soon as Drew Lock fumbled, they went what to that thirteen. Huh?
2: Wasn't it that play?
1: It, it might have been. I I can't remember. Um. Re- regardless, so right at that particular point, uh, they uh, they went to that that twenty two personnel look. But where they had Andrew Beck playing at fullback technically it was 13 personnel but it was actually 22 and they ran they ran the ball four straight plays on the on the fifth play that they ran and it was five straight plays that actually lined up in an offset I formation uh four straight running plays uh, for 12 8 and 16 yards and then the negative 1 yard run and then they ran play action pass with a with a, a post to Tim Patrick on the backside of that in the red zone on second and 9 that Locke actually missed. But yes, that at that particular point was when you could definitely tell, uh, the offensive philosophy completely changed for this team.
2: And then when you look at the Eagles game, they had Noah Fant had six targets. I think it was Jerry Judy had like nine or 10 and then Tim Patrick had over five. So they were using their receivers. And I don't want to say that they're that Cortland son's not getting open. He is. It's just a, the timing of the routes, the certain situations, there's so much more to it. Um, They do need to find a way to get him involved a little bit more often, but they can't force it. We saw them, we've seen them before, try to force things to certain playmakers over the last few years. It doesn't work. You got to go hit the open guy. And that's one thing that, despite all the complaints about Teddy Bridgewater, that's one thing he does fairly well, is he finds the open guy, he Mm -hmm. hits them, and he goes to try to get them to make the play. That's what's got to happen for it. So there's, as I said, there's some credit, um, credence to your point here about using these receivers and that they have so much invested for, but there's other factors that are playing a a role into how they're using them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Cody jumping back in here with another super chat. Uh, Could we see some passes to uh, Pookie, so Javante Williams in this game though? Uh, Yeah, I I need to do is actually some more deep dive information on this one, and I'll get back to you guys. It might be another... Well, that's that's a part of it. He has a high, higher drop percentage than Melvin Gordon. But um, overall, like the the designed running back passing game, whether it's screens or Texas routes, flare outs, stuff like that, where it's not just check downs uh, down down into the flat um, that I need. To, like I said, I need to do more deep dive on this and, and I'll get back to you guys on that one. But the running back passing game has pretty much been non-existent, which is. Quite honestly, a little bit shocking. I mean, I understand you got a, like Eric. You said Wait, there's a lot of co- co-
2: lack of passing. You're talking about passing game to the running backs.
1: Yes, in like specific designed passing plays, not just like dump downs and check. No,
2: no, no, no. There's against the Chargers. Those were the designed passes to the running backs that they were kept hitting Gordon right, and everything. And right. it's been going pretty consistently for a lot of the season. Okay. A lot of people are sitting there saying these dump offs to the running backs are dump offs. That's not the case. They are by design because they're trying to get them to trust to their have they have this trust in their ability to go make a play. So it's not that they don't have the design for it. We're just not it just it's being written off that it's not by design.
1: Okay, and that's that, that's why I've said I need to do some more deep dive on this and and actually come with some better information. But it it just seems like um like so you watch the Chargers game specifically. I'm going to cite two plays. They were back to back plays. Um, it was after Drew Locke threw the interception that that went uh, um, back to the and then the Chargers drove down and scored a touchdown. Uh, they ran back to back plays in, in the red zone, and it was um it was it looked like double Texas concept, but it's actually more um like a, a a circle route and then an angle, um, but anyways, they, they ran the same pretty much design to Austin Eckler. Uh, the first one, they threw it to him. It hit him right in the hands. He dropped it. The second one, uh, Caden Stearns, it looked like, was late on the rotation to come across over the middle of the field. Brown and kind of missed a little bit, was out of position, and they hit uh, Austin Eckler for a touchdown there. That's the kind of design I'm talking about, the stuff over the middle of the field, not the the quick flare outs to the flat and stuff like that. So it's so maybe, I guess, the best better way for me to describe that is uh, the conceptual designs that I thought we would be seeing with these running backs are just not there um and it looks more like dump downs am i am i completely off base in saying that eric
2: i mean no i mean it would be nice to see them targeted over the the middle of the field and everything like that a little bit more but that's not a super big part of pat shirmer's game his designs for the running backs is often working out of the flats getting them open in space and letting them make a play he's not a guy who often wants to use them over the middle he's not a guy who's going to often have them run those wheel routes it's just it's just not his style
1: right okay uh andrew baker jumping in here with some stars if we can put out a solid game plan together without mistakes we should be able to win hashtag mile high huddle for life with the big old strong arm that's right yes sir um yeah and we we can get more into that here in just a little bit uh um you know obviously to me i think they need to go back kind of to the well of what they were doing against the chargers you know and um with the piece I'm going to be putting out here about, you know, 12 and 13 and 22 personnel here in the next 24 hours or so. Uh, Yeah. I, I can definitely see that grind, grind the clock. You know, offensively, you keep running the ball effectively as much as you can and specifically attacking the edges. And I think this is why, like, quite honestly, it, it sucks that the Broncos aren't going to have Melvin Gordon in this game because they need that. I mean, he's the most consistent running back this team has, but Javante Williams works so much better working off of the edges. And if they can attack the edges that way, like, give him some room to cut back and, and work that way, it's like, this could be a big game for Javante. Eric, what do you think?
2: I mean, this team just is better running between the tackles than they are running to the outside. I mean, consistently is they just get blown up on the outside. That's where you're more often to see your tight ends miss, uh, miss blocks your wide receivers get blown up. They they're what they are best at doing is running inside gap stuff. And Pat Shermer, I mean, his, his baby is the inside zone and they're mm -hmm. throwing a lot of outside zone out there. And there's like a four yard difference between the yards per carry and a major difference in success rate when they're rushing zone, either inside or outside and running inside gap stuff. Like, this team is, they're made for gap. They need to stick with it.
1: Hmm. Okay, that's a pretty interesting point. Uh, Jeremy, Black Knight 232 on, on YouTube, and I think it's Black Knight 323 on, on Twitch as well. Jumping in with a super generous super chat. We appreciate you, buddy. Do you guys think that Sean Payton or Mike Tomlin become available in the offseason? And do you think the Broncos go after them? Also, are you worried that if we make the postseason that we're stuck with this coaching staff? Eric, what do you think?
2: Um I don't think either of those coaches will become available. Um I think that the if you're looking at a surprise firing then maybe Kyle Shanahan, I'm but I mean I I don't I never expect surprise firings. I guess that's kind of why they're a surprise. Um but worried about those coaching staff if they being stuck with them if they make the postseason. Yeah, I I mean I've said it time and time again. The only way that this coaching staff can stick around, I mean, I don't know if it'll be like 100 the same, but the only way Vic Vangio can keep his job is to get the team into the playoffs. Yeah, maybe not win a game, but they have to get there, and they go what they can go one and done and get out of there. And I still think he keeps his job. Uh, I saw a lot of conversation this week about beating the Chiefs would be a good way to, for him to keep his job. No, it's it's playoffs or bust, basically for Vic Vangio.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I, I don't think, I, honestly, I think it's going to take 10 wins to get you into the playoffs in the first place. And that would be a first for this team in a long time, uh, going back to 2015. So, uh, to me, it's it, the, playoff edict has been widely reported. You know, it's been pretty well known now that, uh, Fangio and and Pat Shermer and Ed Donatel, this whole coaching staff has a playoff edict. And that's coming down from, you know, George Payton. He he came in, he's like, I I trust this coaching staff. We'll let you give one more chance. What do you guys need? We'll, I'll get you everything that you need, but you guys got to go prove it and and put the results on the field. And he did that. And now this coaching staff has the opportunity to literally save their jobs. They've got to start coaching better, better decision-making, situational play calling has to be better. The players have to just kind of play better as well. Winning one-on-one matchups is a big thing. Um, we finally saw that, especially up front defensively last week against the Chargers winning some one-on-one matchups. So, uh, But, uh, yeah, they, they have to make the playoffs. Um, preferably if they could win a game, I think that that would definitely secure them to come back next season. But uh, making the playoffs is is the biggest thing. Uh, Peter Middleton, um, go ahead.
2: Sorry, real quick. I wanted to touch on this for the ref, the ref question earlier. Totally forgot to mention this. With Carl Schaefers he's averaging 15 penalties a game this year and he has more of them he has trying to think of the percentage here off the top of my head um more of them are called on the home team it's 90 penalties on the home team to 78 on the the team away so just a little fact there
1: Uh appreciate that. Uh, so Peter Middleton jumping in here from Cambodia as he does every single Friday. And we appreciate you every single week for joining us, man. We had really good back and forth last week, by the way. And it, that was, that was fun. I had a, a lot of fun to close out the show last week. Um, Will Noah Fant turn up this week or another tight end become the star.
2: This is a good game for Noah Fant. It is like it's a good matchup for him. It... Whether he shows up and takes advantage of it. We'll see. I was hoping that what we saw of him in the running game against the Eagles would be, would carry on but he was terrible <laughs> as a blocker against the chargers. Um, we got to see him show up more as a receiver and hope I was hoping the bye week would help with that. But again, other circumstances um, they're in play uh, with the pa- whole passing game last week. I mean, obviously Teddy Bridgewater drew lock that played a part in, into it as well. Um, so hopefully he is, I mean, it's a good game for him and it, I mean, if the, he can get going, then it just helps, uh, helps the offense, helps out everyone else, obviously.
1: So one thing that I want to kind of elaborate on here is usage just a little bit. I still don't think that they're using Noah Fant the right way. Um, a lot of, obviously, short, shallow cl- crossing routes. I want to see some deep overs with Noah Fant a little bit. Let him use that straight line speed a little more than what they're actually doing with him. Um and see if we can't get that big body moving the way that he did against the Browns his rookie season. Like, uh, Everything it seems like – and, again, I need to do more dives and stuff like that and actually come with a little bit better information before I say stupid things like this. But, but uh, like, they're using him on a, a lot of out routes and stuff on third down, crossing routes, like shallow crossing routes on third down and stuff like that. And, and to me, that kills me to see him um, not be able to make a play after the catch, you know, run a guy over, break a tackle, um, kind of get going a little bit, but it, it's more usage to me. They've got to figure out a, a way to better utilize his talents than they they currently are. Eric, am I, am I wrong there?
2: I mean, they're just trying to get him open up in space and able to make a play afterwards, and he's not making a play, right? Um, they could they could mix it up a little bit more for him and uh, try to help open up other stuff with it. And I do have an issue with that, that. It's just constantly the same thing with Noah Fant. Yeah, exactly. It's like banging your head against the wall, trying to get it to work. They they got to change it up a little bit more. They shouldn't go away from it, especially working in more of the middle because Noah Fant, he doesn't like contact. Like contact in this thing. And when you throw him in over the middle and, you, and he feels that safety coming, like it just doesn't turn out very well often. So you kind of want to limit that aspect to his game as well. But they got to figure something out to mix it up and use them differently. But I mean at the same time is they're just trying to get him open in space and have him make a play and he's not doing it.
1: Right. Exactly. And that's kind of what I was getting at there. It's just they, they get him out on the flats, he'll catch the ball and then get, get chopped down two yards short of the sticks, it seems like every single time. And it, it just drives me nuts because you saw him at Iowa and he would actually break those tackles and make those plays and turn them into explosive plays downfield. Like he has the ability to do that it's something something is just wrong there i don't know exactly what it is cody jumping back in with another super chat dude hey thanks we appreciate that we appreciate all your support man you've been uh, a super chat superstar for for sure tonight uh we gotta shut down the pass and make them beat you on the ground uh speaking directly to the chiefs here um yeah i don't necessarily disagree with that but the uh, <laughs> uh peter i'm gonna get to you in a sec uh Yeah, I don't necessarily disagree with you on that. A big part of the Chiefs offense is it's so random because they do a really good job of creating explosive plays because of their speed. Um, And Patrick Mahomes does a great job of extending plays to allow windows to open up for him to then push the ball down the field. Uh, That's the biggest thing something that you can do against the chiefs is let let him hit those shallow stuff the shallow stuff over the middle of the field. He can throw for 400 yards. We watched it last year against the chiefs in December in Arrowhead. He threw for like 415 yards or something like that, but he didn't get in the end zone. That was the thing. They they let him drive up and down the field and they they let him control the clock as much as they wanted to, but when push come to shove and it came to crunch time, they clamped down in the red area, made them, force them to kick field goals and held the Chiefs offense to 22 points. That is something that is replicable. You can actually do that again. So if you, if you have to shut down the pass, make it, make sure it's shutting down the pass vertically down the field, because that is how the Chiefs offense is so explosive.
2: <laughs> Sorry, I just got to point out how you said that. It's like, of course, vertical passes down the field are explosive. That's like basically right. definitely an explosive play. But
1: uh, <laughs> well, but, uh, but, but I'm saying I, like, I know
2: I know what you meant. It was just funny how you worded it.
1: Right, sorry. I was um, like, <laughs> pushing the, pushing the ball deep down the field and vertical explosive plays. But, but you can you can keep stuff short in front in front of you and make tackles and a limit the explosive plays that way. Is what I'm trying to say.
2: Yeah, sorry. And and that's the thing is like the Chiefs' passing game is solid, but if you can take away their passing games, they look much worse than they are. They don't have a Outside of the explosive plays, they don't have a very consistent passing offense. So you got to, I mean, I just got to take that away. Got to force them to run because that's not something they do very well. And then you just go from there. I mean, if you can get them into the red zone and you keep it to field goals, that's a good thing for your defense. I mean, they're going to score a touchdown here and there. You want to limit how many and force them into taking and taking those field goals.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Dave Glassman jumping in here saying, make sure you guys don't forget to read your chapters for Broncos book club. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Join Chad Jensen with that. Um, I I, I can't remember what day is. that Monday or Tuesday? I can't remember. Anyways. Uh, Jelly jumping. Okay.
2: Okay. I think it's Saturday now. (laughs) Okay. Real quick for the the Facebook supporter update for the shows for that. I'm pretty sure Broncos book club is on Saturday. Kelvin corner is Sundays. I believe at noon still um not entirely sure on that one and then the trickle zone is on wednesdays at one o'clock mountain time now on wednesdays
1: you guys change partners more than square dancing i swear to no, god we change <laughs> days and
2: it's there's so much stuff that comes up um and it it we're having issues with it with the scheduling and uh, scheduling issues with day jobs and things like that and family right. so we're we're just trying to figure out something that works
1: Yeah. And I mean, that makes sense. Everyone's got a day job and stuff like that. It'd be great to be like Eric and be able to do this full time. Everyone, Yeah. Everyone except for Eric (laughs) smart ass. I'm so jealous of you, by the way. Anyways, uh, jelly jumping in here, a new name to me. It might, you might've been around before, but it's a new name for me. So thank you for joining us on the Dub Valley deep divers podcast. We appreciate you, buddy. Uh, is Dan Quinn a real option as a head coach replacement? I'm, I'm guessing we're talking about, uh, um, Replacing Vic Fangio at the end of the season. So Dan Quinn, a real uh, option to replace Vic Fangio as a head coach. And who else do you think is realistic? Also, who are realistic options for offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator? Um, Yes, uh, Dan Quinn is actually a very real option. Uh, There's a there's a connection with George Payton back in his time, I believe, is in Miami was they were they were worked together in Miami. So that is that that is something that George Payton does value is relationships. He wants to have personal relationships with everybody. So Dan Quinn is a real option. He also uh, this is going to grind Scott's gears to be able to have this conversation without him. I want to join. I want to have him join in here. But uh, the the roster in Atlanta was not good, man. Like the last couple of years that they were there, that roster was just not good. Um, the team seemed to always show up to play. They went to bat for him. They, they saved his job for a season. Um, they started out 0-5. The players just didn't bring their lunch pails. They didn't come to work. Um, Dan Quinn's not a bad head coach. Eric, so uh, who else do you think is realistic? And then go into some uh, offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator spots.
2: Before I get into that, I want to say I do have an article up and a video on Dan Quinn and the option for this. And one of the things with Dan Quinn and George Payton that with their connection is before Dan Quinn took the Atlanta Falcons job, he was actually looking at, I believe it was the Jets, the Bears, and one other team. I can't remember who it was. He was looking at those jobs that he wanted because they were the three teams that were hiring for a general manager. And he wanted to join up with George Payton. And once George Payton told them all no, um, Dan Quinn turned his attention to getting Atlanta and wanting that job and going there. So, I mean, it goes beyond Miami. They want he, Dan Quinn has wanted to work with George Payton before, and he still does. He is very much a real option. There is some belief that getting Dan Quinn will help entice Russell Wilson to want to come to Denver. Mm-hmm. And other realistic options, um there's been a bunch of names thrown out there. I wouldn't be surprised if you look at Leslie Frazier. I wouldn't be surprised if you look at Todd Bowles. I think and I know, and this is this is what's gonna take off a lot of Bronco fans, is that they don't seem to be super set on an offensive-minded head coach. They seem to be more on a defensive-minded head coach and getting a, uh, a bright guy to coach, be the offensive coordinator. And they're looking at their coach who can be somebody, not a micromanager, but somebody who can step back, let the coordinators do their jobs and just go from there. Um, as for our realistic options for OC and DC, um, I'm not really sure for defensive coordinator. That I mean, that just really depends on who they hire, of course. I think that if it's a defensive-minded guy, they'll want to bring in somebody of their own. If they're at for for offense coordinator, I think that there's a person in mind that George Payton has, and he's currently with the San Francisco 49ers and Mike McDaniels. I was always trying, I've been trying to figure out how that could work, but it turns out that Mike McDaniels is actually on the last year of his contract, so he would be a free agent coach. So Denver could potentially swoop him away if he doesn't re-up with the San Francisco 49ers. And there's also the possibility, as I hinted, that Kyle Shanahan gets fired. And that opens up a lot there. But Mike McDaniels seems to be the guy. And man, it's about time Mike McDaniels gets his shot. I mean, he's the I think he's the offensive coordinator with the 49ers, but I mean Kyle Shanahan does so much with that. Mike McDaniels deserves his shot to be the the guy.
1: Absolutely. And uh, I, he was the quarterback's coach. And this was before I believe it was Matt LaFleur was the offensive coordinator underneath Kyle Shanahan a couple of years ago in San Francisco. They, I believe that was the year that they went to the Super Bowl and then he got hired by the Green Bay Packers. Uh, Mike McDaniels was the uh, the quarterback's coach underneath Matt LaFleur. And now he is the offensive coordinator. And as Eric said, he is a free agent. Um, the other one that would be interesting to watch, especially with Dan Quinn, would be Daryl Bevel. And currently he is the offensive coordinator in Jacksonville. Um, so that would be a, an interesting deal. I'm not sure what his contract looks like, uh, and to make a lateral move, the Jags, the Jaguars would have to, to actually allow that, which I'm not sure that they would be willing to do so unless something happened with, uh, urban Meyer and we all know how that situation is going. Uh, but I don't think that they're going to get rid of that. Daryl Bevel and, and Dan Quinn would be a huge get to me. Because those were coaches that were in Seattle with Russell Wilson and uh, Russell Wilson actually has spoken extremely highly of Daryl Bevel um, and the work that he did with Russell Wilson, getting him to be the elite quarterback that he is right now. Peter Middleton, also, yes, I do thump my chest for picking the Broncos to uh, beat the, the beat the Chargers. I saw you comment on that a couple of times. I'm not too modest. I just haven't got a chance to get to that. Uh, but, uh, it's the in one here.
2: thing he can beat his chest over.
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. I said Garrett Bowles was going to be an all-pro player, and then I backed it off and said he's a pro-bowl player. I could thump my yeah, chest on that it. one too. You backed it off. I backed it off, but I, I was right. I was right, damn it, and you know it. Don't, don't you dare take that one away from me. <laughs> Uh Peter jumping in and said, uh, I would keep Cameron Fleming as a right uh, right tackle this week. Would you um no? If Bobby Massey's ready to go, please start Bobby Massey because Cameron Fleming has been not good.
2: Hashtag well, no, he was he was good again in relief against the Cowboys, he was good yeah. against the Chargers. That holding penalty kind of you know left sour taste in a lot of people's mouth. The issue is that you just don't know what version of Cameron Fleming you're gonna get. Yeah. Bobby Massey hasn't been an outstanding right tackle by any means and I don't think he's like a super massive upgrade over what Denver had last year either, but he is far more consistent than Cameron Fleming because Cameron Fleming was God awful against the Eagles. And this is a game where you don't want that. Right. Well, I mean, in in any game, you don't want that, but you you get where I'm going.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, that's an obvious one. Uh, let me run through this really fast. So Cody jumping in here. Uh, another one. Who should I be watching for draft guys? Well, first things first, make sure you tune into the Dove Valley Deep Divers uh, podcast because we've been told by multiple different people that we are the best NFL draft content that you will find, uh, at least on the Huddle Up Network, but also there's some people that are like uh, across all platforms. Uh, Eric Trickle, this guy over here to my left-hand side, is uh, the guy that you really want to pay attention to, and I've learned so much about him. But uh, as far as uh, draft guys to watch for this year eric well, give me uh no no so i'm, I'm gonna make it specific here i'm gonna make it a specific uh let's do uh 10 players over the first two rounds that you uh, would be excited that the broncos drafted
2: that i would 10, be excited the, if the, broncos the top draft. the
1: top 10 players that you would be excited about if the broncos drafted over the first 64 picks
2: should i take out guys that obviously won't be there yes Okay, so no Aiden Hutchinson, no Kayvon Thibodeau, most likely no Evan Neal. Um, I mean, Akema Kwanu, uh, he is South Carolina.
1: South, South Carolina starting left tackle.
2: Yeah. um, George Karlaftis, the edge out of Purdue. Yep. Um, he's the guy that I figured to go top 10, but there's been a lot of speculation that uh, he will fall a little bit for multiple reasons, and uh, Dane Brugler, he released his yeah. mock draft this week, and uh, he was saying that there's some teams that don't even have him as the first-round prospect. Um, I mean, I'd be okay with one of the linebackers, Devin Lloyd. I mean, I guess he's absolutely tearing it up for Utah tonight. Mm-hmm. He's probably going to end up my top linebacker. Absolutely. Big fan of him. Pairing him with Baron Browning. <laughs> oh,
1: dude, super athlete. Holy God, um, that kid's freaking fluid. There's,
2: there's a few corners um, that I wouldn't mind um i know that nick is big on um roger mccreary yeah and then
1: the 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 mccreary from auburn and then the elam kid from florida too
2: yeah um i'm not as big on elam out of florida um let's see here i'd be okay with jordan davis depending on where they took him um round one i wouldn't be super excited about it just because of positional value but putting him with if Mc, McTelvin Ajim can develop, putting him between Ajim and Jones would be outstanding. Um, I was kind of high on Charlie Cross there for a while. He's an offensive tackle, as Peter Middleton asked about tackles. Um, but his running game scares me a little bit. He's starting to remind me a little bit more of Andre Dillard. Um, oh, Tyler good. Linderbaum, I mean, I'm against centers in round one, but I wouldn't mind Tyler Linderbaum. No one tell Nick. If you tell Nick, <laughs> you will be. I'm um, going to put
1: it in the group chat right now. <laughs>
2: Um, I mean, it's just such a it's a really good class. I mean, there's a lot of good players it in it. um I don't think that this year I am w- not sure that any player compared to next year like next year has a lot more t- talent at the top. um trying to think of some other guys here, Trevor Penning, he's a tackle out of north northern yeah, Iowa. yeah, yeah, you yeah. we talking- about him. He's a guy that if he goes out there and kills a senior bowl, he'd probably be a top ten pick um I mean again there's there's a lot of guys that I like this year um specifically i'm a i'm a big fan of i am i'd be okay with uh the either the two cincinnati corners i mean it's it's a it's a solid
1: juice love me some juice uh there's there's another one it's specifically a linebacker he wears brown and gold and number 48 chad muma i know that you love you some chad muma Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> uh, actually, Eric, uh, in our in our private group chat, Eric actually did say a couple weeks ago that he wants Chad Muma simply because he's better than Logan Wilson. And Logan mm-hmm. Wilson was one of my most favorite players because not only is he from the University of Wyoming, he's actually from Wyoming. So that's, that's a big thing to get a, an actual true Wyoming native into the NFL. There's not very many of those guys, I promise you. Uh, Jelly jumping in here with the $2 Super Chat. Top three quarterbacks in the draft. Who's the smartest quarterback in the draft? Oh, man. Um, Let me me start here. So top three, probably Matt Corral, uh, Kenny Pickett, and maybe Malik Willis. Uh, I like Ritter probably a little bit more than Willis. He's more refined product as a passer, but that's – ouch. Probably Pickett. Honestly, Pickett's probably the most pro-ready quarterback in this draft class right now. Um, He reminds me a lot of Kirk Cousins, Uh, maybe a little bit stronger arm. Accuracy is about the same. Mobility is about the same. Um, good decision maker. Uh, I know that uh, I think it's Jeff Schwartz on, on Twitter was talking about him the other day as uh, arguably the most valuable player in college football. He's not going to win the Heisman, but as far as uh, a guy that's the most valuable to his team would be Kenny Pickett this year. Um, Matt Corral. I like, there's a lot of tools there, but he's raw, super, super raw. There's a lot of work with uh, technical refinement. His footwork is terrible. Uh, Ball placement can get sketchy. He doesn't trust his arm very much. Um, and being probably the top quarterback in this class, I I don't know that I would go in that direction. Uh, Eric, what do you think?
2: I mean, I saw somebody else ask this earlier about the quarterbacks from the 2021 class in it. Mike Jones would be quarterback one this year for me. Yes. like yes. I'm not a big fan of this class. There's guys that I'd be willing to take at certain points on it just for the risk of it. Um, just lottery tickets for the most important um, position, try to cash in. But I mean, like. Uh, it's just it's just oof for me um I gotta point this out because uh, Carson comes in and you're saying there's only like nine people in Wyoming that's what I've been saying man.
1: It's ten okay get it right <laughs> and I'm the tenth
2: and uh Peter Milton comes in before that asking any Alaskans in the NFL um there's actually an Alaskan on the Broncos coaching staff um probably one of the most famous Alaskans to play in the NFL was on the Broncos he was a super Bowl winning guy. there's yep. a lot of radio down there some dude Mark Schlereth or something like that Chris Cooper is another one. Um, there was a guy my brother went to school with that played for the, um, Atlanta Falcons. Actually, he was a draft pick by the Atlanta Falcons, um, years ago. And it's always funny because when I used to, uh, work security at the courthouse, his dad always came in and his dad always tried to flaunt this knowledge that like, or this thing that we didn't know what he was talking about. Now, my boss at the time, he played for Oregon. He's really close to a bunch of NFL players. Um, but, uh, he always would come in and talk about how his son was the highest paid uh, defensive player in the NFL for so many years. And I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but we both know that wasn't the case. And it, it was just always fun listening to him talk about it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's been a, there's been a few others. Um, Darren College, he went to – he was out of North Pole. Yep. Like, he played yep, for the Packers right. for a while. Yeah, then it, it was, uh, He in was –
1: yeah, he was a, a right tackle for the Arizona Cardinals for like four or five years. Obviously, Mark Sanchez is a big one. Um, as far as Wyoming goes, um, uh, Jay Havlicek is probably the most famous. He was a tight end for the uh, um, for the Dallas Cowboys in the seventies and eighties. Um, and then um, there's some new guys. Actually, one of them I, I played uh, football uh, against in high school. Uh, he's from Buffalo. Um, Chris Brzezinski, Uh He was a, a safety for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And most recently with the, um, the Chicago bears, uh, obviously Logan Wilson, who's starting for the, uh, um, for the Cincinnati Bengals. And there's another one. And Eric, I've, I've dropped his name to you a couple of times in our group chat. Uh, he's actually currently the starting right guard, I believe for the uh, Wyoming Cowboys right now. And Logan Harris, this is a the big kid. He's, uh um 63315 decent length moves pretty well um he's got uh he's been an honorable mention all afs or uh, mountain mountain west conference uh all west honorable mention for uh the mountain west conference um for uh and then he was a uh an academic All American as well, uh, so he's he's got some smarts. He's got some football ability. It's a guy that would be um, uh, probably a later round draft pick, Eric. have you got a chance to check him out, I've I've been meaning no. to ask you this for a while. No, okay. Uh, I, I think <laughs> you're gonna like him. He's he's he like I said, he moves really well for a guy his size, and he's got some pretty decent strength. Holds up at the point of attack really well. He has some versatility too. He played left guard and I think center at, at sometimes as well. Um, so yeah, it, it, get the opportunity to ch- uh, to check him out. That'd be that'd be pretty cool to have a conversation with him. And uh, Jay, Yeah, Jay Novacek, uh, born in – oh, he was born in South Dakota. Okay, sorry about that. I I, uh, I thought he was actually from Wyoming. That's that's my fault.
2: And then uh, Malcolm from Homer comes in and says, Larry Zonka has a lodge in Alaska. Yeah, and, um, I mean, Malcolm may actually know what I'm talking about, but Skyview High School, um, Jason Elam's son actually kicked there for a while and uh, played soccer for them, and one of my high school coaches was actually the coach of the soccer team, and Jason Elam would always come down and uh, teach them different things about kicking and stuff like that and help with the football team, um, too. So that's a cool little fact about Jason Elam.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we got just a few minutes left. We haven't even got to our topic.
2: We never even spoke about our topic. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's run it down really fast, uh, guys. Uh, we originally came into the show wanting to talk about uh, going down the stretch. You know, we're obviously getting into award seasons. Obviously, you know, uh, Pro Bowl voting's coming up. All Pro uh, potentially, um, offensive, defensive rookie of the year, defensive player of the year, stuff like that. Uh, what Broncos p- could potentially be on those lists? And I want to start specifically with uh, one number nine overall draft pick, the rookie cornerback out of Alabama, Passer Tan. Now, uh, guys, this kid has been playing phenomenal football, plain and simple. Eric and I have both decided multiple times to eat crow on Twitter uh, about, you know, wanting to take Justin Fields over Passer Tan because of the value of the quarterback, corner, quarterback position over cornerbacks. No, it
2: wasn't just taking a quarterback over it. It was taking the trade that was offered right. to move back, which would have got them a first round pick this year that would be in the top eight.
1: Yep, and also, and then still getting a corner later. But, right. but, but yes, and that was that was also a big thing. But it was also taking. And Eric and I were in lockstep on this one. Um, we didn't see Pat Sertan as necessarily a true fit for this Vic Fangio defense because. <laughs> he is a uh, um, more press man kind of physical cornerback uh, doesn't have change of direction skills that you need, to, like not the requisite skills that you need to play in a, a, a an off cover four match quarters, kind of a, a defense. Um, and it's honestly been a lot of the former for this Vic Fangio defense. They've been playing a lot more man covers than they have historically in Vic Fangio's defenses. So, uh, the, the, the scheme change that we didn't necessarily foresee with Pat Sertan coming in has also actually helped him out. This guy has the number four uh, EPA allowed of any defensive back in the NFL. Now that means expected points added on a per play basis. Um, And I think this was actually for a total game, but uh, as far as expected points added, Pat Sertan has negative 21.7 expected points added of any. Uh, so that's the number four, uh lowest total of the uh of any defensive back in the nfl that's an all pro level number eric elaborate just a little bit on just how good pastor Tam has been this season and do you think that he could potentially be a rookie all pro cornerback
2: uh all pro no i just don't think that i mean one thing with all pros is that you the teams always look at the well not always but they like to look at the success of the team a little bit and i think that'll hurt him hurt him right. some um there's just, and then there's some name recognition there. It's the same reason why I don't think he'll get the Pro Bowl, even though I think that he, up to now, he's deserved it. And he could definitely make a case for it. And I think that he's right there in the running with, not far behind um, Micah Parsons as defensive rookie of the year with Micah Parsons earning, being so far ahead because of his play as, as an edge, not an off-ball linebacker. And uh, that, uh, I mean, Going to be it's going to be tough for Patrick Satan to overcome that because I mean, for corners, you got to be targeted really to have such an impact. Well, Mike Parsons as an edge, like it's just much easier for him to make an impact, make these splash plays. Um, the one rookie that I'm really curious about is Javante Williams, he's currently, I believe, the fourth right now with the odds for offensive rookie of the year behind Najee Harris, um, Jamar Chase and Mac Jones in that order, Mac Jones being the favorite at the moment. Um, this is a good chance it, with Melvin Gordon most likely out. I believe he's doubtful at the moment, which obviously means doubtful he'll play. Uh, I think that it's a good chance for Melvin Gordon or Javante Williams to make a case for the majority of the carries going on. And if he continues at the rate he is, I mean, he's got the highest of all rookie uh, rookie running backs that have over 100 rushing attempts. He's got the highest yard per um, YPA. He's got by far the most missed tackles he's only i mean only two running backs have more yards than him elijah mitchell and Najee harris both of whom are in the top five for offensive rookie of the year so he can make a case for it and but it's going to be tough for him because eventually melvin gordon will come back and that'll cut into his carries and um seems uh, somebody said it in there that if uh javante williams got the majority of the carries he'd be probably in the running or be the favorite for it and i don't actually don't disagree with that
1: I, I don't disagree with that either. And I was actually about to elaborate on that. Uh, thank you, Andrew Lampe, for jumping in here with some stars. Uh, happy Friday, all, and happy Friday to you, Andrew. And thank you for joining us on the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. Uh, back to that really fast. I don't disagree with you. If uh, if Javante Williams was, I mean, Najee Harris is a starter. Like, it, that's the guy in, in Pittsburgh. He has been the guy all season. And if you go back to what they were doing, you know, weeks one through five, that running game was terrible they only took off against the broncos quite honestly, it was i believe it was a week four or no week five excuse me the week five game um the broncos went to pittsburgh and got ran all over and the pittsburgh Steelers were actually 32nd in the nfl in rushing at that particular point they were only averaging like 52 yards a game on the ground it's terrible so to me having Najee harris as a guy that is was like the, the worst running back in the, well worst running game in the nfl not worst running back but w- the worst running game in the nfl how he's in the offensive rookie of the year behind uh, uh, ahead of uh javante williams is beyond me but guys jamar Chase chases uh, to me uh, well i guess with mac jones playing as well as he has the last couple of years but uh, still jamar chase the consistency that he has had this season uh at one point i know he was leading the nfl in targets and receptions over 20 yards this season uh, he's the best deep threat in the nfl as of right now as a rookie uh probably the most consistent rookie we've seen from start to now uh, and uh, potentially th- throughout the rest of the season to me i mean i, I know you've got the, the quarterback boost with mac jones but man uh Jamar Chase has to be the the guy. And Javante has a long road to, uh, like, a long road to so. He's got a long ways to get there before he can actually insert himself into that conversation even more than he already is. But, uh, man, Jamar Chase, whew. Goodness gracious! Um, now, as far as other players that could potentially be up for some awards here, and Pat Sertan definitely with, with your, your argument for Micah Parsons was 100 percent spot on. People see the statistics, they see the sack numbers, they see the pressure numbers, they see him flying around, being used in multitude of different uh, different areas um pastor tan is still not getting the hype that he deserves and i think a, a lot of that obviously becomes uh from the fact that micah parsons is playing in the in dallas and uh, obviously the dallas cowboys have a huge following and they're the media darlings of the nfl um the broncos haven't been relevant in the last five years and they've got a cornerback who's having arguably one of the top rookie seasons we've ever seen and, and I, I, I could actually have some statistics to back that up but uh behind this uh Jalen Ramsey uh, in his rookie season in 16 games, uh, I don't remember the the tackle numbers, but uh, uh, Pat Sertan is like 10 away from those tackle numbers in 11 games. Uh, He has one less interception, one more touchdown and a forced fumble more than, uh, than uh, Jalen Ramsey did in his, uh, in his rookie season. Uh, He's like, I think eight pass breakups away from that number right now. Uh, and everyone knows who Jalen Ramsey is. And and everyone says that he had arguably the greatest cornerback season in NFL history. Sertan deserves to be in the conversation. And if he can come away with another couple of interceptions, get closer to maybe seven, if he can get like seven interceptions this season, he can definitely be the defensive rookie of the year. So, um, yeah, and, and Scott actually makes a really good point. Uh, pro football focus hates Passer Tan, which is really weird. Uh, they have been 63rd in the NFL out of 118. And like I said earlier, he has the uh, fourth lowest EPA allowed in the NFL per any defensive back. That's not cornerbacks. It's all defensive backs, safeties included. Um, so, yeah, it's it's wild. Uh, other defensive players, that, uh, well, just Bronco Bronco players in general that could be in, in line for some awards. Uh, Justin Simmons. Definitely d- deserves to be in the conversation. Eric, what do you think of Justin Simmons?
2: I mean, what, what are you talking about?
1: Uh, just Pro Bowl. No. I
2: Not mean, for name recognition will be what gets him there. Name recognition and fan voting. Uh, his play this year, it's been so inconsistent um, that he just he just doesn't deserve it. Uh, the only Bronco who really deserves it is Draymond Jones. Yeah. He's been absolutely killing it despite the stats, and the stats are the lack of sacks and everything is why he won't actually make it. Um, because the fan voting, and I've said this before, I'll say it again. Fan voting is the worst thing for the pro. Bowl. Yes,
1: yes, it is, especially with the way that Twitter has actually gotten um into the fold. And Steve jumping in here with some stars, nothing to say, just showing some love, and we appreciate you, Steve. Uh, this is a tweet that I stole from Nick Kendall. He actually uh, sent it to me just a little bit ago. Um, speaking specifically to Draymond Jones, and this is according uh, this is quote according to Pro Football Focus, amongst all interior defensive linemen with at least a minimum of 200 pass rush snaps this year. Draymond Jones is 10th in pressures at 32, 9th in pressure rate per pass rush snap at 10.32%. And uh, the guys that he is behind in pressure rate per pass rush snap, minimum 200 pass rush snaps, are in order. Jonathan Allen, uh, J.J. Watt, Kenny Clark, Cameron Hayward, Aaron Donald, Javon Hargrave, Christian Barmore, who is a rookie, by the way, and Jeffrey Simmons. So we're talking about a guy that is number eight in the NFL and, and, uh, Pressure rate per pass rush snap, minimum 200 snaps per pass rush. And we're talking about a guy that's been doing this without having Von Miller to take some stuff away from him and his ineffectiveness. Um, Bradley Chubb's been non existent this season due to injuries. Um, you've got Jonathan Cooper, who's kind of figuring it out. So, offensive lines have really been focusing on Draymond Jones, who's been eating a lot of double teams and still being able to win reps, man. It, his play has been absolutely phenomenal this year.
2: Yeah, and honestly, there's just not many other players that are deserving of it. So much inconsistency. Um, I mean, Shelby Harris, Mike Purcell, they've both missed time. They've both been rough to watch at times. Obviously, no linebacker. The corners, I mean, Patrick Tatan, but it's just a situation of I don't think he's been good enough to make the Pro Bowl, but it, I mean, not too far out of it. And then the other factors I named and then offensively, like just – write them all off. Uh,
1: I saw somebody trying to pump a whole bunch of Twitter votes for Cortland Sutton. And I'm just like, I don't get me wrong. I love court. I, I think he's uh, could, he has a potential to be a top 10 wide receiver in this league. If you could get him some good quarterback play, he would be, but, uh, but it's just not that effective this year. And a lot of that goes into the ineffectiveness of Teddy Bridgewater to maintain, you know, consistency, consistency and throwing the ball to the boundary. Um, This has been a problem even uh, before the the Jerry Judy injury where he was sidelined for six weeks. Um, Cortland Sutton has just been kind of there in in this offense. It's not been a primary focus. Uh, Tim Patrick as well. I guess you could make an argument for Jerry Judy based on, but I mean, that's advanced analytics stuff that we would be looking at, like for us here on Dove Valley deep divers, the, and with, with the piece that Carl Dummler just put out uh, in his three reasons why this Broncos offense is starting to turn it around Um, with Jerry Judy in the fold over this last uh, four weeks, the Broncos offense is averaging 2.65 yards per drive. It's fourth in the NFL. So Jerry Judy brings us an, an added value, but he missed six weeks with an ankle injury. So offensively there's there's no one on this team that is necessarily deserving of it um it'd be interesting to see uh I I know it'll never happen but um Quinn Miners get some recognition I don't know exactly what recognition he would get but he's played pretty well for a rookie so I I don't you wouldn't throw him in the rookie of the year conversation because you can't even get Rashawn Slater into that but he deserves recognition for what he's been able to do. But again, that's all coming from the Dove Valley deep divers, the mile high huddle, the the huddle up podcast network. So yeah, it's, it's, it's hard and it sucks. Again, it sucks to watch this Broncos offense just struggle to create, um, create separation in any way, put up points consistently, sustain drives consistently and uh, you know, get some, get some pro bowl accolades. It's rough. But uh, with that, guys, I'm going to run through the the chat stream one more time. Make sure we've got all of our questions answered. Uh, what would it take for Judy to get some pro consideration for the Pro Bowl? Ten catches every single game for the next six games. Like they would have to do that. Ten catches and probably six nothing. Touchdowns. He missed him.
2: He missed too much time.
1: That's that's that's, that's that that's the biggest thing. Uh, let's see here. The Pro Bowl has been a joke for a while. Coming from Zeb, that's absolutely the truth. Um, and Let's what see. and
2: what Scott said was was right was spot on. Don't need to play it. Announce the teams. Let them get their bonuses. Like nobody watches the game anyways. Yeah, they just <laughs> consistently try to fix the Pro Bowl and they just continuously make it worse. It, Players don't care. Fans don't care. Like bring be, back skill challenges. Do that instead.
1: Yes, I was just about to say that it would be great to do like a a forty yard dash competition. Um, do send them to the combine you, again. Let's send them you, to the combine again.
2: No, do you remember back in like the early two thousands? They used to do like the um, like the veteran game, um, where they had like uh, Joe Montana and like Troy Aikman leading two teams with in, in a game of flag football. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, they had the bench press, Lorenzo Neal, like consistently putting up stuff like that. Like, bring back that kind of stuff. I know they've started to the last couple of years or something like that. But bring back that. I would watch that. That, that to me, is far more entertaining than the game that the players don't care about because, obviously, they don't want to get hurt.
1: Like, right. That, I I remember watching those. I remember watching all the skills competitions. They had um, uh, Tom Brady there early a long time ago throwing um, uh, throwing into hoops and, and moving targets and stuff like yeah. that. Uh, they, I mean, they had... Um, like tug of war contest. And, and like, it was, mm-hmm. it was always a bunch of fun to me. It would be a lot more fun to send them back through the the combine drills. Let's let's do some three cone testing. Yeah. Let's do some, let's do 40 yard dash times. Let's let's like, I think that that would be fun. Uh, bench press. Let's see how you're the only one. I, well, <laughs> sorry. Sorry that I love the combine and it's one of my favorite, my, my most favorite things to watch every single year is the combine. Okay. That's my fault. God damn. I swear I thought I had common ground with you on that one.
2: Damn it. Anyway, like combine. And it has its purpose. <laughs> but I mean, putting these guys back through it as part of a celebration that they were viewed as one of the best at their position. Nah. Like well, let them at least do something to compete a little bit and like,
1: yeah, incentivize it. So uh, the whoever runs the fastest 40-yard dash time of the of all of the offensive linemen. Like offensive linemen, 40 yard dash times. I'm here for that. Okay, let's see the offensive
2: linemen play a game of uh, Red Rover, Red Rover. (laughs) There we go. That's what I want to see.
1: Duck, duck, goose with all the wide receivers. (laughs) (laughs) That That would be fun. That would be a fun one. (laughs) <laughs> all righty, guys. With that, we're going to show's getting off the rails. We're over time, anyways. We're going to get out of here. Thank you all for joining us on the dub Valley Deep Divers Podcast. Y'all can find us on Twitter by finding me at mhh for Eric at Eric Trickle. Also for Scott Kennedy, the man running uh, behind the glass running the ones and twos at Scout Kennedy. Uh, also, folks, while you're at it, make sure you guys are following at DVDD underscore pod. Set your notifications because that's what you're going to find out what we're talking about every single Friday at 6 p.m. Mountain Time. Uh, also again, guys follow at mile high huddle because that's the mother account. That's where you're going to get breaking news and analysis, opinion articles, film breakdowns, anything regarding your Denver Broncos. That's where you're going to get it at mile high huddle. Uh, folks also, if you're on Facebook, make sure you guys go to facebook.com slash mile high huddle uh i got the wrong one mile high huddle uh click that blue become a supporter button it's five dollars a month you guys get in on some premium content like the trickle zone you'll get kellerman's corner you'll get broncos book club with chad jensen every single week uh it's a great way to support the show you guys can donate some stars if you'd like to as well um amazing amazing support comes from our facebook followers we we really do appreciate every single one of you guys there uh let me see if i can find it here uh, the huddle up That's right. Get, head yourself on over to the merch tent. Make sure, yourself, you get, uh, make sure you guys get yourself a hat. There's t-shirts, there's face masks, coffee cups, hoodies, a onesie for your baby, something for the guys, something for the gals, anything to suit your fancy. That's where you're going to get it at huddleuppod.com. And folks, and not, I but, hear
2: everybody's family member. They want Dove Valley deep diver shirts for the holidays.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, there's two that. of those on there, by the way. There's two different uh, Dove Valley Deep Diver shirts. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not wearing mine tonight. Uh, it's, in, it's in the wash. But uh, uh, yes, uh, get yourself some Dove Valley Deep Divers merch, especially these hats. These hats are really nice. I've had this one for a little over a year now, and um, it's still in pretty decent shape. Uh, the, shirts are, the shirts are high quality as well. Uh, I love my hoodie. I have a, a mile high huddle hoodie. Um, the, the hashtag state of being hoodie is one that I have. Um, my wife has one as well. We, we rock the merchandise every single day. Uh, but anyways, that's where you guys are going to get it. HuddleUpPod.com. And guys, if, if rocking merch, donating, stuff like you just you just love the content, you do not uh, not financially able to do so, it's fine. We, we totally understand. I, not, not many people are in a, a spot to be able to do something like that. But what you should all be doing Every single one of you guys that watches the Dove Alley Divers or anybody on the Huddle Up podcast, uh, make sure you guys are subscribed everywhere. YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, uh, does not matter. Subscribe to Mile High Huddle. Like every video you guys see across all platforms on social media. And if you love it, if you love what we're doing here, you you, uh, agree with us, we're like-minded, get it in front of as many Broncos fans as humanly possible by sharing it. Send it to your your friends, your family, uh, anybody you know that's a Broncos fan. Share it to them and get their eyes in front of us as well because that is the easiest way and the most organic way to help grow our channel, to help grow our website, and to do what we do best, which is cover your Denver Broncos. Now, with that, guys, we're going to get out of here. But before we do, Eric, any last words?
2: Yes, I have an idea for a Pro Bowl game. Now, we take Nick Kendall, and we put him up on one of those walls, those circular things that spin, and he's kind of, like, all spread out. And we let the quarterbacks just throw footballs at him, and they get points depending on where they hit him.
1: 50 for the whole shot, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's, that's good old family fun. Right we'll pay here. like
2: nick 10 bucks for it. I'm so. I'm
1: so glad we're not bound by the FCC because that one probably would have got us suspended there for a little bit. But uh, <laughs> uh, anyways, guys, before we get out of here, got to make sure I plug this as well. As always, every single Friday, the Mile High Huddle roundtable hits on milehighhuddle.com. Check that out for our game predictions. I have the Chiefs winning this game, unfortunately. Um, I just I don't trust this Broncos offense to be able to, uh, to to replicate what they did against the Chiefs or the, the Chargers last week, at least at this particular point. Eric, you want to spoil yours as well?
2: No, I don't remember mine. <laughs> Do you actually- I sent you last night. That was a long time ago for me, man.
1: Well, I mean, you slept and probably had a beer or something like that since since then <laughs> and now, so... <laughs> I definitely get it. Anyways, guys, smash the like button on your way out. Thank you all for joining the Dove Valley Deep Divers Podcast. For Eric Trickle and Scott Kennedy, I am Lance Sanderson. We will see you guys same time, same place next week, 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And as always, before we get out of here, got to give the uh, obligatory go Broncos.
0: You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's Deep Divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.